strikes a chord with you. Well, okay. it takes me back to the early days of personal computers where nobody thought businesses didn't at first think it was going to be worth anything. And just a bunch of us thought, oh my gosh, it'll be a different world if we all have computers. And it was such an exciting time. We said, oh my gosh, a computer can give you more ability. It can make a person more capable than they were. They can solve their own problems rather than turn a program into their company's computer and let the company solve it for them. And it was just all this kind of, it gives you a kind of a type of freedom, being in control of things and not somebody else. And that was just the drive. And it was like, we can make this, make people more powerful, more masters of their own destiny and all that. And that was the reasoning. And I think some of these big transformations, they're sometimes called disruptive, are happening. And right now, blockchain, my favorite conferences to go to are blockchain, to find people that are really more educated and up on it and can speak about it and, and its issues and effect on the world, even than I can. I'm, I don't have enough time to be a total developer, blockchain developer and all that, but I really like a lot of the aspects of it. It's um, it Basically, it lets you, for example, I mean, you could look at just Bitcoin as the example, the, the gold, and it's just like, oh my gosh, no control anywhere. And it really works. And people said that about small computers in the early days. This won't be worth anything. No big company would invest in it. My company, Hewlett Packard, turned me down five times. So so it's it's like the new thing, you know, things that are exciting and new, you know, are, are what drive us a lot and push us. Ah, oh, I would much rather be around the interesting people and the interesting things, the things that they make TV shows and movies about, than I would to be about real successful, accomplished people, you know, who run their companies and acquire things and do that kind of business. That's not my life. So, so anyway, so it's good to be here. I can't forget this year was, you know, block, uh, was chain exchange in Las Vegas. And yeah, it was just, um, it's really like, I like to- There's nothing on Crypto Invest Summit though, right? Because everybody's talking about new ideas, <laughs> new ways things can be done. And it takes me back to the early days of the internet. And they were all right, because our entire life is kind of run on internet apps and things like that now, but the company's all folded for a while. It doesn't happen instantly. And I see that going on with blockchain. In my travels around the world, I run into Example after example after example, and sometimes I'm even judging contests and people are coming up with applications for blockchain technology that are so different a way of living than we have before. And I love to see culture change, but culture resists change too. And um, like the internet came under a lot of control. Other people want to control things that are equivalent to currency, for example, because that actually leads to a lot of wealth of countries is how they can control their, the currency. So, yeah, you so I, I like the fact that it's like rebellious. And when we were, we talked about our little small computers in those early days. This is a rebellion. We're starting a rebellion. People are going to have, you know, things they never had before and, and uh, be on their own. And it was true. And the, the inter early internet. Oh my gosh, it's free. It's everywhere. Now we find out that it's restricted and it's not everywhere. But at least when you have, when you have distributed blockchains, um, distributed blockchain everywhere, it's like nobody really does have control. I really like that idea. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about that a little bit. So you're talking about change, and you're talking about new decentralized applications. There's so much noise in this space. What applications, what use cases, or more specifically, what applications, decentralized applications, do you feel are uh, disrupting incumbent leaders or are really moving forward with, uh, with the blockchain space? Uh, currently, it's very hard to pinpoint which ones are disrupting. Disrupting to me means you see the signs of companies going out of business 
or the way they were doing things in the past going out of business. Uh, however, if you look at big companies, not just IBM technical companies, but a lot of banks, they're jumping on. They want to be on top if there is some disruptive force here. Do you actually see the disruption happening? It's happening kind of slowly. But that was true of all the internet apps in the early days. Um, the, the big thing that led to it was a platform so that hundreds of thousands of people that were, had some technical knowledge could sit down and actually program up their own applications and try their own things, build their own hardware and take the market. A platform. A platform is really um, an essential goal to spreading the, the blockchain development far and wide. Every single blockchain application I hear about, you know, whether it's manufacturing or materials, sources, or, uh, re or um, history, history of uh, real estate, or voting, or every application I hear about is, um, whoa, this is so intriguing. Life could be very different. And you still have this question, would it work? And eventually it, it boils out to which ones do work. And we, you know, we need to have you know, one bowling pin after another. And it may take a while to start because people can't change their ways easily to things that they don't understand fully inside. You know, How can you even know if your cryptocurrency or your tokens, are they secure enough? How do you know? It's very, very difficult times. Appreciate that. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, let's go, let's take a step back in time here. Where did the vision for usable stack technology, a computer in every house, uh, when did that come to you? Where did it come from? And what was the aha moment? How did that evolve? I had a lifetime of developing a skill that I never thought would even be a job in my life necessarily. Oh yeah, I was going to be an electrical engineer. I was taught math science student in my schools. And, and I was going to be an electrical engineer. I wanted to be a teacher second. That was important to me. How do you teach young people to come up in the world is, is the world that we have and that we get. And I became so skilled at something, designing computers when you couldn't find a book on computers, you couldn't afford a single chip. I'm in high school, you couldn't go to a bookstore and find a book or a magazine describing it. And somehow I taught myself how to do it based on little logic diagrams I stumbled into in a, in a weird manual for engineers only, journal for engineers only. And so I was really skilled. And yes, I wanted my own computer. That wasn't change the world like you're talking about. When did you have this vision to, to really increase everybody? It really kind of happened. Here I am at a stage, I can design anything really quickly, build up project after project after project while I worked at Hewlett Packard, designing the hottest product of its time. And I didn't even have a college degree, but I was a design engineer of the, uh, the scientific calculators when they were brand new. And that division at Hewlett Packard drove the whole company positive when every other division at HP was losing money. We made the company profitable. We had the hot product of all time. And so I'm doing all this, but I'm doing side projects. So I designed calculators in the daytime, and I was such a geek, I didn't have a chance of a girlfriend or a wife. So, so I'd go home at night, watch Star Trek, and have a TV dinner, and I'd go back to work, working on designing little things, you know. Eventually took me into video games, became a big part of my life, and, and um, you know, and eventually the computers came out of that. But the real vision that you're talking about, was there an aha moment? It was probably the first night of the homebrew computer club. This club did not have a name. And there were maybe 40 of us that met in a garage, 30 or 40 of us. And I was there the first night because I thought I'd show off my technical prowess. That was the only way I could talk to people. I was so shy. And I'll show them my designs for how you can make a video terminal that would get on the ARPANET. The ARPANET was sponsored by the US government and it was the forerunner of all of today's internet and everything, connecting long distance computers. It was the first time there were only six computers on this ARPANET. And I had to build a device of my own that I could type things over a modem to a faraway computer and it could type back to my TV set. I couldn't afford any input output devices. 
Teletech cost as much as a car or two cars, and I could never afford that. But I had a TV. So I just unplugged, unscrewed the back of the TV and ran a wire inside and touched it to the right places and sent my data in. And now I could, I could type to faraway computers. And I thought I'd go show this off at a club. And start out, and they were interested in little computers, affordable computers based on microprocessors. But their computer was a raw box that was computer architecture inside with switches and lights and push buttons and do stuff, and it really couldn't do anything. And I had built my own of those five years before, the same week that I met Steve Jobs. And um, so I was kind of well beyond that in engineering and thinking and wanting to make products that are usable for people. And that night, I was around other people, other people in this club. And the club grew to over a couple hundred members. We'd meet every other Wednesday night, the most important day of my life, because I would listen to Stanford professors and people talking about a people revolution. People were going to have tools in their life. It was going to change communication forever. You'd be able to type a message into a computer, and within one hour, a hundred people could read your message over modems. This is true. This was, uh, my gosh, that was an exciting number. Amazing. And, and we'd have education change, and we'd, the geek would be important, and whoa, I wanted to be a part of this revolution, and my skill was designing equipment. So I got to work and uh, built up my computer real quickly and showed it off, gave away my designs for free. Because I wanted the revolution to happen. I wanted other people to have access to be able to build their own. I didn't want to start a company or anything like that. Steve Jobs was out of town. He didn't even know the computer existed yet. So don't believe that movie. Don't believe that movie where Ashton Kushner, Steve Jobs, comes and gets me in a basement, takes me down to a club to show off my invention. I was a hero at the club, showing it off every two weeks. Steve came into town. He'd never been to the club, and I took him. First, and even when Steve said, let's start a company, it wasn't to build a computer at first. It was to build a little PC board that he understood because he was into selling surplus electronics. But, you know, but engineering, the, the people who actually know how to construct things, software or hardware, and work projects through to completion and suffer with all the things not working right, trying to solve it and get it working. That's my kind of person. Through that whole process and through your other, you know, your other experiences in building up Apple, would you do anything differently? Um, I, you know, I'm one of those people, I grew up with formulas of um, philosophies of life that I developed when I was around 20. Your personality settles down between 18 and 23. It's like who you're going to be. I could talk about Steve Jobs in those periods and who he became in that period of time because I knew him before and after. But um, I thought out my philosophies of life and I read an article, I think it was about Sumner Redstone or somebody with Viacom and buying all these companies and he was real accomplished in life. And I said, do I want to be that guy or do I want to be the guy out there with my little electronic pranks playing tricks on people and laughing and, and smiling and all this? And I said, no, life should be about happiness. And I boiled it down to one simple formula, smiles minus frowns. H, happiness equals S minus F, smiles minus frowns. And, um, if we worry, and, and the frowns part of it, yes. And so I do a lot of fun things in life. Everything I did in productive and work had to have at least breaks for fun, if not total fun throughout the building, building the fun. But the frowns, keep away the frowns. I learned don't ever argue with anyone because you both don't get anywhere with a line of reasoning. You have different reasoning, like politics. Don't argue and don't care. And also, if things go wrong, your car gets dented, What's the constructive path? I gotta go fix the car. It's not, I'm gonna be so mad forever, I'm gonna let it give me frowns. Don't have those frowns. So I had a very, it was very successful. You can't go in later life and say, this is a good philosophy, I'll live by it. But that was my personality 
And um, so, not frowning, I forget what the original question was. The question was, did you do, did you do anything different? Yeah, different. So you don't want to look back and say, I did something wrong. If I would have done differently, oh my gosh, it would be a better world. That gives you frowns. That's something to frown about. So I don't look back at that. Also, um, my mind was actually pouring out magic. I go back and look at my designs from that period of time. How could any human being ever have been thought that way and gone so different paths than normal? Um, and come up with these great ideas that really help make the world. So I don't even understand it. Um, and sometimes people would say, well, your address is on this Apple II computer. They didn't go like we're taught in school, zero to 40, 41 to, to, to 80 and 81. To, they didn't go in the normal order of things. They went bounced all over. No, I would go back. I said, I had the good mind when I developed it and I knew why it saved a couple of chips and it saved steps in software to put a put a pixel at a certain location it actually saves steps over what we're taught in school. Um, a lot of things that we're taught in school are just made by human beings, and I always favor things that come from science or nature. I mean, look at, look at um, well, well, blockchain with no central control. It's just out there being controlled. There's no human being involved. That's one of the things I love the most about it. The fact that with Bitcoin, you can't create more Bitcoin just by being a human being. Human beings do a lot of stupid things, like, you know, why do we have months? Why do we have months? Why don't we just have the day of the year? Zero, one, four. The zero tells you the season in your head. You do it as quickly as with months. The zero would tell you the season. The next digit tells you how many tenths of you're into it. And the next digit is which of the 10 days of the week you're on. It'd be so simple. Well, the trouble is our calendar was based on Roman times and Roman numerals don't work that Some way. people are better with words, you know? Some people are better with numbers. You just don't know what you're gonna get. It's, it's tough. Yeah, but I, I love numbers. Um, everywhere I go, I try to make patterns out of numbers. I figured, um, I didn't think you were a word guy. I was just, you know, I was just, just for the rest of the crowd. I'm in room 903. 903 are both, both multiples of three, so it's a, if it's got a formula, it's a good room. That's how I judge the room. Not by what's inside, it's what's on the door. <laughs> so happiness, okay, so smiles minus frowns. That's what we got for happiness. So you're, you're a big jokester, you're a prankster when you, when you want to be. Tell us how you keep those frowns away every day doing what's your favorite type of way to joke or what's a, what's, what's a prank that you feel like you remember? Okay, well pranks don't keep frowns away. Pranks bring you smiles. Okay. Usually. Um, <laughs> See how much I know about the equation. So many pranks in my life, but I, I remember um, my first year of college when Introduction to Computers was a graduate course and I got an A+. But I went down to Radio Shack, bought a high-speed transistor and round some coils. I was a ham radio operator since 10 years old. And I built a little transmitter. And when I tuned it on, I could jam the, the picture on a TV set in our dorm. And, but they, we only had one color TV on campus in those days. This is a while ago. So I went over to the color TV everybody would watch at night. It was in the basement hall of a girl's dorm. And I tuned up my jammer, and it fuzzed up the picture. Didn't jam, just fuzzed it up. A friend of mine, I don't know, we hadn't planned this or anything, he waxed the TV, and I made the picture go good. <laughs> and then a little later, it'd go bad, and he'd whack it harder and harder, and it would always fix the TV. So for weeks, they put one person in a chair right next to the TV. <laughs> Whose job it was, was to fix the TV. They had fine-tuning control, reach up and do the fine-tuning control, I'd make it go good. Pull his hand back, I'd make it go bad. So I should have got a degree in psychology at this point. Pavlov would have been so proud of me, I would have got an A plus. And I got I got it to where a guy once stood on a chair with an antenna in the air to make the TV work. Another time a hand on the middle of the TV set and standing up, he had a foot on a chair. He put the foot down, it went bad, and he said it was a grounding effect. So 
so I had a lot of fun. And I also learned that double prankism is good too. Said, but you know, these pranks, I'm gonna leave this back to creative thinking for designs and even uh, blockchain efforts. Um, but I, I built one of my TV jammers into a magic marker pen. And because I was, uh, when I took that computer Sounds class. Like some James Bond stuff. When I took that, that graduate course in computers, I got the A plus in. Four, most of us had to watch it on four TV sets. The professor was live in another room with the upper, the upper classmen. And I kind of tuned it in to see if it would work on those TVs, and it hardly jammed the TV next to me at all. But it jammed a couple on the right-hand side. They got fuzzed up a bit. I thought, I'm going to turn it on, see how it works, and then turn it off. That was my plan. Three TAs stood up in the front of class. I didn't know we had TAs. I thought we were all students. They stood up, and they looked us over. Who's got the transmitter? Small cut, and I'm not going to read, say, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? If I turn it off, they'll see me. I waited a lot through class. They're watching us closely for the transmitter, making announcements on the TV. And near the end of class, there's this guy under the TV that was jammed the worst. He picks up his books to leave early. And he starts walking out the door before the rest of the class. So I made the TVs go in and out while he walked. <laughs> when he went out the door, the TV went perfect. And the TA pointed at him, one TA pointed at him. And later I heard from a friend, the TA said, there he goes. <laughs> I learned that one. Yeah, so, so keep, it, keep it a lot of that the humor. The more you have, it's electronics. You can do things that other people don't know exactly what's going on. And I'm sure this would apply to all programmers and Bitcoin people. And it's fun to kind of trick people for a while. Not to be destructive, though. You know, never that. Um, that's, that should not be the point. Tell us what the best piece of technology you've ever owned, and why that one. I have so many. We talked about it. I have so many. Some of them best might mean emotional. But when I was, you know, maybe nine years old, I had a six-transistor radio. Oh, oh my gosh, you know. And I could take it to bed, and I could tune in AM stations from far away at night, and I could listen to music all night long while I slept. Um, so that was a, a big, a huge emotional experience that I'll never ever forget. Obviously, you know, get building, um, I, I built so many projects that were so fun. You know, I built um, Breakout for Atari. I designed that for Atari, down at Atari. The Apple II computer was probably the highlight of my technology that I loved because a lot of people think about, well, it's a great computer. You can pull it out and use it in school for all these things. And I had all these software for it. Wait a minute. The Apple II computer was also the first time ever that arcade games, we all like arcade games, things moving around on a screen. Arcade games were color. Never before the Apple II computer. And arcade games were never software. An arcade game took Atari, 150 chips, 1,000 wires, with, with skilled engineers hooking them up for six months to a year to make a prototype of a game idea. Now a nine-year-old kid in software could write a game with moving colors on a screen. They could write a game in one day. This was a huge step that games, arcade games became software and they became color. So uh, that was a very important machine that um, you know I'll love forever. Obviously, the iPhone. You know, we went through stages with the Macintosh being so much like humans, and then the iPhone, iPhone, everything on it worked, and you had the internet carrying around with you. It would have failed, except for, and so one of our early Apple II have failed. But things happened. Technology, broadband, internet, especially mobile broadband, came, and things got fast enough we can send videos to our machines. So that was a very important, great piece of technology. Uh, the, the, the one that's made the biggest difference in my life of all Apple products, the third-party app store. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I look at what I do in my life and that saves me time and energy. What would I have done without it? And it's generally What's your favorite game? Out. What do you play? You... Favorite games? Um, well, I used to play arcade games when I was young, man. I, I even had a home full of them, and I played Defender for years and years and years. Got to where the million-point score, I could wrap it over, and it had a bug. That's what you try to do. Get to the, the high end of the number digit it has and get beyond that and see if it has a bug in the game, and it did. So that was probably the one I was best at. Nowadays, um, nowadays after they, my, I had kids, I eventually had kids, they got better at games than I could. Any game that was speed thing. So now I just want to play simple little, quick little card games that okay. are over in five to 10 minutes, as long as the current download to my computer is going on, I can play a game. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And, and of course, Segway Polo is a sport. I like that. I was on the team that was Segway Polo. Right. worldwide thing. <laughs> Did you, you have a position that you played? Or? Um, I had a position that I usually played. Um, sometimes it was forward and sometimes it was um, on the, the side. I heard that gets physical a little bit. No, Segway Polo, no. All the rules are Wrong against sport. collisions and stuff like that. Yeah. No collision sports. And, and you can't even, you can't speed up your Segways. No, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Big part of life. But, you know, and games are fun. Competition is fun. So let's talk a little more about blockchains. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of talk in the space. I'll get real deep, uh, detailed question for you first. There's a lot of talk in the space about the future of blockchains and which chain is best suited for what use case. DEPOS chains like EOS have been controversial but have been functional. Ethereum has been criticized for its delays of staking and sharding and still boasts a barreling seven transactions a second, depending on where you look. However, Ethereum still seems to have the most amount of developers in this community by a factor of 30 when compared to the next smart contract platform. Are you a fan of Ethereum or do you have a favorite chain and why? Well, my first response is TMA. Because you had yeah, a couple you left out there. Um, TMA, uh, too many acronyms. <laughs> um, it's like a fedora, one per crew? Yes, and I, I think back, no, I related to technology that I was familiar with, both hardware and software, and new technology building platforms came about new types of chips for hardware, new programming languages for software, higher level languages and concepts, um, methodologies changed. And it's like you could have your favorites and what does it work out? Is there one that's always superior to another? You know, Is a real English-like scripting language better or is C better, the language C, which is confusing to normal people? And so I had my preferences was all. Um, as far as, you know, Bitcoin really got our attention towards what blockchain could be, all the advantages are there because there's no creator, there's no owner, there's no company involved here, there's no central control. So it caught our attention to, and everywhere I go in the world, I run into huge numbers of people that are developing different applications in life, things that we do in life, that'll be on a blockchain. I don't always see that their blockchain development is going to be as pure as Bitcoin, like a certain fixed number maximum Bitcoin that can ever exist. I love that purity, that sort of purity. And I don't always see that to be the case. And I don't always see that sometimes it's, or in, for a business model, there is some central control that you don't see. I mean, I don't even like the idea of, of oh, the tokens will vote on who's the block master to save time to make the transaction speedier. I don't know if I like that because I don't like voting because voting is what fights democracies, what is against democracy. We should, if you want democracy, you have a lottery. You have a lot of random people from all walks of life would run our government. And that would be a lot more democratic than what we get is just fight two parties versus another. And so, and, and we are, have to be scared about security in every, every which way. So as blockchain applications 
come to be, and some of them are successful to certain extents, they're going to be uh, judged by which ones have security failures. Which, sorry, it's 2018, and that's the life we got. So, but I'm not a fan of anything in particular. I do like the fact that in my travels, I found that there were a lot more Bless people you. using a platform, Ethereum. When we came out with our computer, it was a platform. Here's all of our designs, all, all of my designs, all of my software. And you can see how to write your own programs, examples, and how to plug in your own cards. In the early days of computers, these were not known sciences. There weren't books on it. Here's how you would make a card that connects to a printer and you put in your own little software on the card, a driver on the card. Uh, these were, these were, it was a, it was a platform and that meant that 100,000, well thousands of companies started up. Sometimes they were a high school kid in his bedroom was hooking it up to some kind of weird musical keyboard before we had MIDI, before MIDI existed. You know, weird little inputs of making things work and selling, they were selling software packages, games was a start for it. But it was a platform for everybody else to contribute things in their life. I said, on the iPhone, the third party app store is a platform in a sense. It's kind of an open way of thinking. And Ethereum was, was more of a platform. Bitcoin is kind of said and done and is what it is. But Ethereum was a platform that you could adapt to other applications. The trouble is when you adapt, you're like a programmer. You might have bugs, you might have flaws in your own adaptation. So, um, so I, but I don't have any one particular favor of the new methodologies for making, you know, faster transactions was the one you referred to, or, you know, or, um, yeah, more immediacy. I, I mean, I, in some cases, I find that, for example, I just got Bitcoin only to experiment with myself. I'm not an investor. I don't invest in these things. I mean, if any of you have platforms and you want investment, I do have a business advisor that, that studies those things and decides between them. Um, you have to get a card from me. Um, so, so I, uh, but I used Bitcoin and I just went on and I wanted to kind of, uh, well, experiment with it and play around, learn how to buy things. My goal is to travel to another part of the world, like, you know, I read articles about, and just take Bitcoin only. Of course, when you have ATMs, you know, I found one ATM one time in the world for a Bitcoin. Um, if you have ATMs, you can sort of cheat, but how can you find which hotels will accept, will accept Bitcoin today? Um, and which, which restaurants and which retail stores and things like that. And I got the apps that could do that. Man, it's a goal of mine. It'd be hard, it'd be a different life for me, but I wanna try that someday as kind of an adventure. Um, so that's my purpose, not, not to invest. Yeah, when Bitcoin shot up sky year. high, uh-oh, uh-oh, everybody's commenting on the price. It's I don't want to be hard. in that world, because that's worries. You're always watching things. I do not, I don't I do not do any stocks at all. I've never once used Apple Stock app, because then you're watching the price every day. I don't want to watch prices of things. I don't want to be financial, so so then I, so I sold off all my Bitcoin but one. That's still enough to experiment with. And I'll experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I'm watching that price uh, a little too much, I think. I don't, um, what is it today? You think I would know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch prices. 6500 bucks. Is it? Okay. Um, sounds, sounds lower than I remember when it was. Up. I'm not buying or selling, so I won't stick to that. But um, how about... It's scary because I don't invest and I make money. So I don't, I don't like that. I, like I like making money, but not for the right purposes. So, talk us to a little more about blockchains, and um, you, we spoke a little bit in the back about uh, Raspberry Pi and, and some some hardware wallet um, things. Tell us a little more about how your your experience with blockchain and the things that you really really uh, were passionate about growing up in terms of tinkering with devices and how you see blockchain as something that's coming into your uh, realm of that of that expertise. Yeah, 
today, and I'm not a blockchain developer, but blockchain to me in the early days was Bitcoin, and we were just talking about favorite technologies, gadgets, devices I've had in my life. And I'll tell you, probably to this day, I don't think I find one equal. It was the size of a credit card, barely thicker than a credit card, and it was a, it was a Bitcoin holder. And you could even hold your entire Bitcoin in there and not have any passwords anywhere else in the world. Nobody else you know, keeping track of your, your contents. The Bitcoin was in this device, thin little device. It had a keyboard. It had a display to point at QR codes. And, and it could create, create its own QR codes on the keyboard. It had a camera to look at, look at QR codes. It had um, a fingerprint detector. And it was totally waterproof, totally sealed. Nothing to the end point. It was wireless charging. That was great. You just pointed a barcode. You want something you wanted to buy? Run your finger down it, and your beep. It had a cell phone built in. It had a 2G cell phone built in. Oh my gosh! I like. I love it when so much technology can be so small, so compact, and do exactly the right thing. Um, for today's blockchain applications, I think that every the applications are often so different. You don't want to just go do another Bitcoin or another one that's been done. You want to have something special about yours. You want to have some some little thing that other people haven't thought of or haven't constructed in this way. I'm involved in a couple of, of little blockchain startups right now, but they aren't true blockchain startups. They're more like ongoing businesses that will use tokens. We'll use tokens kind of like the same way you might consider shares of stock for liquidity um, through you know markets in multiple places. But uh, it's really you know find people that are qualified that can actually do business, and that's that's my level of security. I don't want to go out there and be total raw experimenter or judge which blockchain applications I hear about are going to make it. It's almost like technology. You never know. You can have great, a great song. You can have the greatest song in the world. Never goes anywhere. Nobody ever knows of that group or hears them. Um, you know, so we're, we're in very much a random period right now. We don't really have that many big companies that control everything. For blockchain um, platform, that's what I like about Ethereum. Ethereum kind of has the big name right now. And Ethereum 2 is being worked on. I was on a panel recently with, with um, Vitalis himself. And uh, the, the way he talks, his brain, I can't even follow his brain. 23-year-old um, kid and one of the founders of Ethereum. So, uh, but, uh, but it's just an interesting, it's interesting where it's going to be successful, you know, just to watch. Um, and I, I really hope that it does change life to make life more fair in certain ways. The problem is, if it's something like currency, and it's considered more fair, no central control and all that, well, eventually governments are going to take the control away like they did with the internet. That side bothers me because um, I really like the idea that, that um, I don't know, it, Ethereum doesn't care who's got the blockchain. Doesn't, doesn't, you know, it's, it's much less person to person. It's just who's got, I mean, who's got the tokens, who's got them. Um, it's nice transaction. I like the fact that you can travel more freely with, with it in your pocket, in its essence, just on your phone. So, well, I don't know what more I can say. Oh, it's great. I yeah, yeah. A specific question. No, I, I, I really enjoy hearing about you know, and I'm sure the rest of this group, you know, the group does about your experience with blockchains and how you see it being as such a nascent, you know, uh, space and how you feel like this is going to develop. So maybe you can just talk a little more uh, to the rest of the crowd about how how this how this is going to evolve into something that's usable. You talked about give me an example. You talked about the, the phone having uh, the technology, the iPhone, the technology improving in other areas and then it meeting uh, the iPhone and its capabilities. How are we going to see that or uh, how, how are we going to see uh, the evolution, the maturation of blockchain technology in a way where everyone can use it? Okay. Well, what's important, um, this comes from my learning through Apple years, 
uh, is what do people do in their life? What is the impact on life? And technology by itself is not important. It's what changes, you know, positive changes it has for us. When we started Apple, it was pretty much just technology. Here's a piece of technology that can help you. You know, take it somewhere. We figured out that we had a $2,000 typewriter. Okay, who wants a $2,000 typewriter? Who wants a $2,000 machine to store your recipes at home? Who wants a $2,000 machine that could balance, reconcile your checkbook? We didn't know where the useful applications that were going to justify the cost of the technology would come from. Why do you have dollars? The cost of the computer. Oh, so those early days. How much you well, well, our computer was so good we could price it three times over the cost to build it. Got it. And we were up in a range fourteen hundred bucks maybe starting, but we we're much higher than a couple others tried to do. Um, and we had the best machine, so you can do that. <laughs> so, but I not only said two thousand dollar typewriter as an example. If we were right, this industry never would have happened. Uh, but it was. Um, yeah, like it's a $2,000 machine to do all that. The amount of memory in a computer that the processor addresses, if you had enough to hold one song, it would cost close to a million dollars back then. Do you really see people's lives and how music will be digital someday? You know, how long will Moore's Law go? You never, you couldn't really predict where the end of it would be, so you couldn't ever look that far ahead. No, so a lot of the future, even for blockchain applications, is is very difficult to predict as the technology evolves and gets better, and gets very secure and very fast, and things like that. So we're just we're still at starting phases, you know, ten years later. Um, and it's to predict where it's going to impact our lives. Well, what do you do in life? Well, you live in homes, and the whole all the real estate transactions go back to, to you know all the, the different companies that keep track of who owned what when and these transactions and this and that. Oh, perfect thing for a ledger, for a blockchain ledger, um, and and banking and all that. You know, banking's a big part of our life. Just me as a consumer. Retail shopping. Uh, people were afraid to use their credit card when the internet first came out, and you know, and, and blockchain is sometimes a little more difficult. Or things like Bitcoin and cyber currencies are a little more difficult to use. That's why I like this one little device. I pushed one button to turn it on, pointed it at a barcode, ran my finger over it, and I made my purchase. It was that simple to use. Um, so I like simplicity in life, and Apple's been all about that, of course. But to become a real part of your life, what else do we do? Well, I look at retail purchases. A lot of people like to talk about innovation. And they said, oh, Steve Jobs is gone. Apple's not innovating. They're the big, huge company. They just put out the same sort of product, and your life doesn't change much. Wait a minute. Who was the first company to ever have Touch ID, so your fingerprint could identify you instead of typing all these horrible passwords. I'm sorry, it was Apple's iPhone, and every other iPhone had to then come along and do the same thing. Who was the first one to have a simple tap-to-pay system? We're talking about the simplicity of using cyber currencies, for example. Uh, the first one to have a simple system. Yeah, two years before Apple had Apple Pay, you could buy an Android phone. And I did, I experiment. I buy a lot of other companies' products and use them to see what they do. There were two phones in the world that had an NFC chip in that could do tap to pay. And those two phones, you could set up a Google wallet type thing with some, like a credit account or something, up to $20 purchase. And then you'd, you'd go into a store like Walgreens, you'd turn on your, your Android phone, you'd, uh, you'd wait a little while, you'd, uh, or you'd, you'd unlock it, you'd unlock it, and then you'd type in the unlock code. Then you'd find the app and run the app, and then you'd pick a credit card, and then you'd type in the PIN number for the credit card, and then you could pay by tapping, wait a minute. 
that is, you could just hold a credit card out and you're done. So that was stupid. What did Apple do? What did Apple do? They said, you don't even turn your phone on. You hold it over the device, put your finger on it, and you're, and you're okay. Then it's paid. I mean, think about the simplicity levels. They have to go down, down. Every time you think you've made something simpler than before, how simple can it possibly be? One of the things about new designs for products, whether they're in technology, Bitcoin, blockchain, whatever, um, new design is if you have a way that you've developed to do something, that you can spot a way that's better. Always acknowledge that it's better. Truth is the most important thing in life to me. As part of my philosophies I felt when I was 20 years old. Truth is the most important thing. So always go towards something that is better. Acknowledge that it really is better. We want to include it and, and, and do some, of, some things that way. Um, that's one thing to keep in mind. One thing I like to mention about engineering. Engineering was like mathematics. You do calculations and they're right or they're wrong. That's a form of truth. It's not like you wrote a paper and a teacher can decide if you wrote it well. You chose neat little sounding words or something like that. That didn't mean much to me. Real truth is, is real solutions. So something has to work. But um, remember, humans are more important. I was very much technical in those days. Now I'm very much oriented towards the human. And it came about from Apple. Do we, is who's more important, the human or the technology? I would always say the human. My whole life has been about only helping other people. I'll be non-political, I'm not financial, um, just want to be helpful. Steve Jobs didn't have any technical background, so he had to think, what am I good at? Well, marketing, non-technical stuff. Marketing, how something looks, what is beauty, what is subjectiveness, what are people like? And all, from early on, he marketed the Apple II. With, he learned to speak very good words to enthuse people about what its possibilities were. And eventually, the iPhone was a product designed for himself. The Apple II was designed for me. Started the company, it was all of Apple's pro profits for the first 10 years of the company. It was one product. The iPhone, Steve kept a secret. He made sure it would work for himself. Elon Musk and the Tesla automobile. Engineering-wise, you would never build an electric car large cost of batteries and everything, it just didn't make sense to an engineer. Elon Musk built the car for himself because he had a large family. That's why he built a large electric car. The luxury market was ready for that, that Tesla Model S. The superchargers, if you buy an electric car, you don't want to sacrifice. That's one thing. If you switch to a new type of blockchain solution, you don't want to sacrifice over something you had before. In a gas car, I can get get in my head. I just want to drive to Las Vegas today. I want to drive somewhere. I want to drive to Kansas and I could go. I want to drive to Yellowstone. And no electric car really had the range until the Tesla Model S. But the superchargers made it possible. The first six superchargers were all in California between Elon Musk's home and the factory. Okay, I loved that car so much for its beauty that I, I became the Foursquare check-in mayor on my phone. Five of the first six Tesla uh, charging stations and I didn't even have a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> but te no, but Tesla wound up owning the world because they saw the complete vision, not making a part of it. I, uh, the car that I drive every day is the Chevy Bolt EV. It's a fully electric car, 200 plus mile range. I've even taken road trips to Anaheim in it and back. Um, but it's difficult to take road trips. Tesla owns the world. They have everywhere you want to go in the United States, you've got all the superchargers. The superchargers for these other cars, BMWs, VWs, Chevrolet, 